Good morning. Let's do that again. Good morning. There it is. Welcome to Northminster Church on this beautiful, if a bit toasty, Sunday morning. Uh, We are glad that you are here, whether you are joining us in person or online. We are honored by your presence. (coughs) Excuse me. I want to say a special word of welcome to any of you who might be visiting with us. We are particularly glad that you are here and hope that you will join in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. If you're not quite sure how we do that, look in the insert to your order of worship. The instructions are there, or just follow the folks around you. They won't lead you wrong. Uh, I want to remind you this morning that the best thing, and we say this a lot here at Northminster, the best thing you can bring to worship is yourself in whatever shape yourself is currently in. So know that this morning as we worship together and know that you are beloved just as you are. If you would, please pass the worship registry down your row, uh, and if you could be as legible as possible, we would appreciate it. That just helps us keep track of who's here with us. Several announcements for you. The first is a reminder that after our worship service, we are uh, having a time of fellowship with drinks, and I think I saw a few snacks. Um, So if you would like to stick around for that, we would love for you to. VBS is coming up in July. Uh, We need adults to help with that, and uh, I think the sign-up, I don't know if the sign-up is out for the kids yet, but it will be. As you are entering and exiting through our narthex, I'm sure you have noticed the gorgeous Cuban art exhibit uh, that DH and Craig um, have put out for us to enjoy. There is a, uh, a list of all the different pieces and the artist and their meaning um, on the stand out in front of the table. So if you want to take a self-guided tour, you can do that and make sure you enjoy that art. And speaking of that Cuban art, today is Cuba Sunday. We are celebrating today uh, our long-time, multi-decades relationship with our sister church in Ciego de Avila, Cuba. So today is going to be a day full of music and joy and uh, some Spanish that I think we can all figure out together. Uh, And with that in mind, DH is gonna come and give us some extra information. 29 years ago yesterday uh, was the first meeting between Dr. Welton Gaddy and Noel Fernandez, who was the then pastor of the burgeoning new church that we now know as Iglesia Bautista in Manuel in Ciego de Avila, Cuba. Uh, This meeting occurred at the dining table in uh, the house that Noel and Omar, his wife, lived in, uh, which was also serving as the church. Uh, That that conversation went on for two days uh, without almost a no break. And, And during that time, they were exploring their common theology, which they quickly discovered that not only was their theology parallel with each other's, but the walk that they had taken in their uh, journey through the uh, organized religion, if you will, uh, were were closely paralleled. So this was a marriage made in heaven. And we're pleased to honor that uh, near anniversary. The first sermon we heard at the church was 29 years ago tomorrow and that was from Dr. Gaddy. Uh, and you might have noticed from the uh, preludes, the flavor of the music is gonna be a little bit different from what we have been accustomed to. And we urge you to roll with the punches. The, uh, uh, the Cubans sing with great gusto, 
uh, impeccable rhythm, not necessarily always with the right notes, but that's okay. <laughs> so that, that gives you a, an open door. And when we try to sing the Spanish, we of course muddle through it. Uh, I will be singing uh, several verses for you in Spanish or along with you. The opening hymn is also the processional. You can pull it out and sing along with me if you want to I'll put in the phonetic uh, pronunciation. And please don't ask uh, uh, anybody if, if I did that right or not. <laughs> um, so with that said, one other thing, following the service, we're gonna do something a little bit different. And hopefully this will become a regular thing. Uh, as you know, postludes get played and you almost never get a chance to hear them because of the ambient noise in the church, which we're really happy that we have. So we're gonna start what's called a postlude club. We'll invite you to come up during the postlude those of you who do that will have first dibs on the flowers, <laughs> so that'll be an incentive. They never last very long, and then we can get on to, our, to the reception. And today's a special day because Justin is going to play probably the most famous piano piece uh, of Cuban literature written in the 1900s, and it's called Malaganya, which translates the, the girl from Malaga. Uh, uh, but it's a, a piece that you'll recognize, you'll you'll find very rhythmic and you might want to dance a little bit. And then after that, we're all going to sing what has become the Cuban national anthem, Guantanamera. And I have music <laughs> for you and all that. So please join us up here after the service. Yeah, as DH said, there's going to be some Spanish today. And having been to Cuba, will you just muddle along and mouth the best you can for us non-Spanish speakers? And scripture tells us that we should make a joyful noise. It doesn't say it has to be a pretty noise. <laughs> or an in-tune noise. So sing with your heart. It doesn't particularly matter if you get the words right. And then, as D.H. mentioned, uh, mentioned Dr. Gaddy, and I think all of you know by now that he passed away earlier this week, which I know is hard to believe. But it seems somewhat fitting that on the Sunday after his passing, we are celebrating this friendship that was such a huge part of Dr. Gaddy's life, that he was instrumental and bringing about. Uh, I also, several people and I have talked about the fact that it's ironic that Dr. Gaddy also passed on the same day as Pat Robertson. Uh, and I won't name the name, but somebody said, ooh, imagine the conversation they're having in the elevator up to heaven. <laughs> I thought that was a, a fun image to think about. In all seriousness, this is a blow and a loss for the world, for our community, for Welton's family, and for all of us. Um, if you weren't already aware, his celebration of life will be July 7th at 11 a.m. here at the church. We hope you can all be here for that. And I also want to encourage you, because the grieving process is going to take a while, but particularly today, if you're going to stick around for that fellowship time, find somebody and tell them your favorite Welton story. If it's funny, if it's poignant, if he made you laugh, which I've heard several of these and they made me laugh, Tell your favorite Welton story. Hear somebody else's. Let us have him come alive in our memories today as we spend that time together. And now I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath. As you breathe in, breathe in the joy, breathe in the love of this good space. As you breathe out, breathe out distraction. Breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out all of those summer plans that seem to take so much energy. Breathe in again, 
know that you are loved by God exactly as you are. And then if you would, please join me in our call to worship. A mighty wind has blown. The presence of the Spirit is with us. The presence of the Spirit moves and gathers us in community. Let us marvel at God's power. God's power works in and through us. Amen. young friends how are we today are we okay it's summertime are you guys having a good summer so far yeah okay got a question for you and you're focused it's important how many of you have ever ridden in a car that should be all of you right we all had to have get in a car to get here today didn't we so any of you ever been in an old car an antique car you ever been in a really old car yeah Have you been in an old car? No, your mama said no. Have you been in an old car? Okay. So let me ask you this question. Did you know, because we've talked about Cuba before, right? And today's Cuba Sunday. We're celebrating Cuba. They have some really cool old cars in Cuba. Did you know that? They have some really cool old cars in Cuba. So I'm not going to read you this whole book, but I want to show you some of the pictures. This is called All the Way to Havana, and it's cars like this that they have in Cuba. I think they're probably from the 50s and 60s. 
Your grandma has one of these cars? <laughs> see, this is what some of the cars look like. You see? Yeah. Okay, so you all can look at this later. But here's the really interesting thing about these Cuban cars is sometimes they break. Did you know that? The cars can break down? Yeah, and the cars in Cuba break down, but they don't have a lot of parts to fix them because the cars are so old. So the cars make really funny sounds. And in the book, they talk about it saying, kera, 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 cluck, 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 like a chicken. That's one of the noises the car makes. But they have to be really creative about how they fix their cars. So you see the little boy, and he says, we don't give up. We experiment. We invent. A twist here, a lightning there. Move this, hold that. So Cuban people, especially when they own these old cars, are very creative because they have to be. And then they get it working, and it hits the chicken. Whoops. You see it hits the chicken? The other thing that happens a lot in Cuba is not everybody has a car. Because we all have cars, right? All of your families have cars. Do your families have more than one car? Yeah. yeah. Your family has three cars? Well, a lot of people in Cuba... Okay. A lot of people in Cuba don't have a car at all. A lot of people walk to where they need to go, or they have horses. Then they use horses and wagons, like a long time ago. We saw lots of horses while we were in Cuba. The other thing they do is they'll share the car. You see how many people are in that car? Oh my goodness, so many people. And they're just, and they're helping each other, they're giving each other a ride. There was eight people in there, you're right. Okay, and you see, this person here doesn't have a car. What do they have? A horse and a buggy. That's very true to life in Cuba. Not that kind, but stagecoaches are kind of similar. So you can see on the road how many of those old cool cars there are. You see that? That's a bunch of old cars. And this is really what Cuba looks like. See all those old cars? Your grandma had the purple one? Okay. Now, they're going to drive through Cuba. They're going to go by the Capitol building. Do you see the Capitol building? That's a bride. They're getting married. Yeah, they're getting married. The flowers are pretty. And the roads are a little bit bumpy. But the people still sing, and they hang their laundry out of the windows in Cuba. Sit on so everybody can see for me. Thank you, dear. And then they're going to a party. So they arrived at their party. Okay? The cake is pretty, isn't it? And they have black beans, and we ate a lot of black beans over in Cuba. And then it says, so we zoom and bump all the way back to our little village where we will soon have a chance to kara kara, taka taka, pio pio, clunk, sleep. Because that's the noise the cars make. And the book ends. Here's how the book ends. Is his dad tells the main character that someday the car will be his. So it's not going to just get thrown away. He's going to get to have the car, even though it's old. So I wanted you to read this book, and you can read the whole thing later. It's really old. Because I want you to know how creative our friends in Cuba are. They don't just give up on things. They don't just throw things away. They come up with new solutions. Like take, take it to a car wash? I didn't see any car washes in Cuba. But I bet they have something somewhere. 
You have a car wash in your city? Yeah. <laughs> but here's what I want you all to remember is that our friends in Cuba are so creative and they come up with so many ways of making life work for them. And I hope that you are interested enough when you get older that you're gonna wanna go to Cuba and see some of these old cars and see the horses and buggies and keep the relationship with our friends going. So I want you to think about that. Think about Cuba, okay? Think about our friends there. Now, here's what you're gonna do. Once you turn around, face the congregation, put your bottoms on the floor, please. Keep your hands to yourself, put your bottoms on the floor, please. Thank you. And we're going to say our prayer. I'll say the first line. You say it back to me nice and loud. Adults, you are welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. Okay, heard the grown-ups more than the kids. So kids, you can be louder. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. Oh, holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you. pray together. Christ Jesus, before ascending into heaven, you promised to send the Holy Spirit to your apostles and disciples. Grant that the same Spirit may perfect in our lives the work of your grace and love. 
Grant us that the spirit of fear of the Lord, so that we may be filled with a loving reverence toward you. Grant us a spirit of piety, that we may find peace and fulfillment in the service of God while serving others. Grant us a spirit of fortitude, that we may bear our cross with you and with courage, overcome the obstacles that interfere in our lives. Grant us a spirit of knowledge, that we may know you and know ourselves honestly and grow in holiness. Grant us a spirit of understanding so that we can enlighten our minds with the light of your word. Grant us a spirit of counsel that we may choose the surest way of doing your will, seeking first your kingdom. Grant us the spirit of wisdom that we may aspire to the things that last forever. Teach us, O Lord, to be your faithful disciples and animate us in every way with your spirit and your love. Amen. Majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouse of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. I look at, I look at your heavens, your work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established. What humans are, might, are you mindful of, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put them, all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, also beasts of the fields, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. A word from the psalmist for us today. I'll despuntar in la lom el dia, I'll dare to gloria nacer. De tu alegría seré la hierba crisel. Y yo, Señor, que 
siempre en el vino y en mi ser te voy aquí como siempre en mi vida y en mi ser tenido un ministerio tanto mejor, por cuanto es también el mediador de un mejor pacto, establecido sobre mejores promesas. Pues si aquel primer pacto hubiera sido sin defecto, no se hubiera buscado lugar para el segundo, porque reprochándolos, él dice, mirad que vienen días, dice el Señor, en que estableceré un nuevo pacto con la casa de Israel y con la casa de Judá. No como el pacto que hice con sus padres el día que los tomé de la mano para sacarlos de la tierra de Egipto, porque no permanecieron en mi pacto, y yo me desentendí de ellos, dice el Señor. Porque este es el pacto que yo haré con la casa de Israel. Después de aquellos días, dice el Señor, pondré mis leyes en la mente de ellos, y las escribiré sobre sus corazones, y yo seré Dios, y ellos serán mi pueblo. Y ninguno de ellos enseñará a su conciudadano, ni ninguno a su hermano, diciendo, conoce al Señor. Porque todos me conocerán, desde el menor hasta el mayor de ellos. Pues tendré misericordia de sus iniquidades, y nunca más me acordaré de sus pecados. But Jesus has now obtained a more excellent ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant 
which has been enacted on the basis of better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need to look for a second one. God, God finds fault with them when he says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with, the, with their ancestors on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I had no concern for them, says the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting until his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds, and adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. A reading from the epistles for us today. Cynthia Arturo, thank you. Let's pray together. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So this is the second of our four weeks on what it means to be Baptist. If you were not aware, this is in fact a Baptist church. Uh, probably not like one any of you have been in before, but that's why we like it. So there's this old joke, and it goes like this. A rabbi begins preaching and says, Thus saith the Lord. A priest begins preaching, as the church has always said. But a Baptist minister begins preaching. Now, sisters and brothers, it seems to me <laughs> to say that Baptists are individualists is like saying that it gets a little warm here in the summer or that Texans like talking about our state whenever we can. Uh, I apologize for all of us who are abroad. Uh, we are obnoxious in our ability to shoehorn our state into any conversation or apparently any sermon, so I'm sorry for that. <laughs> you don't need to nod along quite so much, Eric. In a similar way, there is a stubborn streak in our Baptist heritage that can't be deleted or ignored. Said another way, this church comes by its determination to do things in the way that works for us, honestly. Now, I mentioned last week there were a few places in the country back when our Baptist roots were being established that were safe for our Baptist ancestors. Pennsylvania was one of them because it was founded by a Quaker. 
but other colonies were not as accepting. Now, you hopefully will remember from your history classes that people came to the colonies for various reasons and brought with them many practices from the old world, from their countries. Coming from England, one of the practices brought here was a state church and the preservation of its faith and institutions. That was the Church of England. So those believers who chose not to conform to the state church often paid the price in fines, being whipped, imprisoned, or having their property confiscated and then sold. This includes our Baptist ancestors who were likened to a cancer that would destroy the Commonwealth of Massachusetts if they weren't stopped from their crazy beliefs. In 1644, a Massachusetts man named Thomas Painter was whipped for refusing to have his child baptized. Virginia didn't like Baptists any better. Uh, They called our ancestors an ignorant, illiterate set and of the poor and contemptible class of people. Baptists at this time were often required to register their meeting houses, so we would have to register our church and still support the Church of England's clergy. Many Baptist preachers in Virginia were imprisoned for disturbing the peace, including John Swearing Jack Waller. Arrested by the local magistrate during worship service, Waller and another man were whipped and then thrown in jail. Refusing to post the bond that would release him from prison, Waller preached the gospel from his jail cell. And then when he was eventually convicted, he could have been released if he had agreed to pay the bond, and not preach for a whole year. Again, he refused, was sent back to jail, and the authorities kept him there for 46 days as they became desirous to be rid of the Baptist. Stubbornness and dedication to freedom is in our DNA as Baptists, which we're going to explore this morning through the second of those four fragile freedoms I mentioned last week. This one is called soul freedom. Now, formally, Walter B. Sheridan, who wrote the book for Fragile Freedoms, defines this as the historic Baptist affirmation of the inalienable right and responsibility of every person to deal with God without the imposition of creed, the interference of clergy, or the intervention of civil government. Now, we talked about creeds a little bit last week. I touched on it a bit through the lens of the Bible but it's included here within the framework of the centrality of the individual. So what does that mean? Well, think back to Matthew 16. If you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, it's the story when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? In asking the question this way, we can see that Jesus recognizes that people perceive him differently and respond to him in different ways. With this question, Jesus accents the importance of personal response to his ministry. And soul freedom follows this sort of accent by affirming the sacredness of individual choice. Now, understand this individualism can and is often taken too far. As I said, last week's concept of individualism should be placed firmly under the lordship and example of Christ. We're also not talking about individualism that feeds our personal preferences and comfort zones. Coming to church is not necessarily about what makes you feel good every Sunday. Rather, this individualism is anchored in the affirmation that every human being 
is created in the image of God. We're told in Genesis 1, verse 26, that humankind is made in God's image. And Psalm 8, that Cynthia read for us this morning, speaks clearly of the infinite worth and dignity of every individual. True Baptist individualism, therefore, means that each of us, being created in the image of God, is competent under God to make more moral, spiritual, and religious decisions. This is both our responsibility and our privilege as followers of Christ. So creeds don't particularly have a place in Baptist worship, nor is a clergy person necessary, because our tradition holds that we can all come before God personally, directly, and voluntarily. The fancy phrase for this conviction is one hopefully most of you know. It's called priesthood of the believers, or a bit less formally, every member a minister. Now, of course, Jesus' conversation in Matthew 16 doesn't end with this inquiry about who people say he is. He also asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And he asked this not just for uh, a personal response. He's not quizzing them as to the official position of the Hebrew scriptures regarding his identity. What he's doing is he's inviting personal response based on voluntary commitment. I'm going to say that again. What Jesus is doing by asking about his identity is inviting a personal response from each of the disciples based on voluntary commitment. They're choosing to be there and to follow. 600 or so years before this personal invitation from Jesus, the prophet Jeremiah promises a new covenant with God, saying in Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Jeremiah's prophecy of humanity's relationship with the divine, one that's based in relationship rather than ceremony, was so important for the early church that the writer of Hebrews includes it twice. Now, hear me really clearly. I know that's some dense theological stuff to get through. Soul freedom, or sometimes called individual competency, which sounds much less interesting, does not mean we must or even can be totally self-sufficient. We are called to be individuals in a community working together as the body of Christ. Striking out on your own or refusing to play well with others based on your own individual beliefs is certainly an option, but the Baptist dedication to the individual, as I said last week, is understood in a larger faith community. And that faith community works best with everyone's thoughts, input, resources, and creativity. It is our uniqueness as individuals that strengthens and varies our community. Finally, understanding soul freedom includes the concept of conversion by conviction, some more churchy words for you, and baptism for believers. Now, conversion by conviction loops again to that Matthew 16 passage, in which Peter responds to Jesus' question by saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, his response is not scripted. It was confessional. Peter was a shoot-from-the-hip kind of guy. Born of free choice, Peter's confession was a response to divine invitation and was stated in his own words. Now, this is what soul freedom means. 
the right to choose faith because faith is voluntary. Just as you can't force love, you can't force belief. Belief and faith must be personal, and conversion is always a matter of the soul's conviction. Despite what our other Baptist siblings might say, and you know those other Baptist siblings, the Baptist tradition and way of thinking does not prescribe one specific type of conversion. You don't have to have an Emmaus, or excuse me, a, 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 um, now I'm not remembering the road, um, thank you, Damascus Road experience to be a Christian. Isn't that terrible? I couldn't think. <laughs> Y'all don't tell anybody. <clears throat> Our dedication to a personal faith makes such a thing impossible for us to only believe in one type of conversion. Though that's been lost in a lot of the Baptist world. In reality, our tradition holds a sacred, both a conversion experience as bombastic as Paul's and the quieter experiences many of us have had in which we've never known a time when we didn't love God. We've never known a time when God didn't love us. We've never known a time when we weren't in church. Baptism for believers is exactly what it sounds like. That a profession of faith is made and then someone is baptized and becomes a member of the church. But what might surprise you is that our earliest Baptist ancestors didn't care much about the mode of baptism. They were much more concerned about who was baptized. So dovetailing with conversion by conviction is this idea of believer's baptism. Less about immersion, although that full immersion, dunking, that was important. It was more about a personal, voluntary faith. Our ancestors wanted the person being baptized to be able to make a free and voluntary choice to follow Christ. Baptism was a sign, therefore, that one had made a pledge to a new purpose. Baptism was a sign that one had made a pledge to a new purpose. So although it's what's visible that is often what sets us apart these days, not too many churches doing baptisms in the bayou, the centrality of, our, of having a baptistry in a sanctuary, of doing a baptism, the importance we place on being immersed, fully immersed, the joy of watching a new believer emerge from the water dripping wet, gasping, what's really important about that baptism is what can't be seen the things that take place inside and in the heart of each and every person, which is where God resides. In his book, Introducing Southern Baptists, Their Faith and Their Life, lifelong Southern Baptist minister C. Brownlow Hastings wrote the following about soul freedom, this topic. It is easy for us to yield our integrity and responsibility to some accepted authority. Beloved pastor, honored teacher, influential book even, even an edition of the Bible, respected parents or dynamic church. These all have their proper roles of influence, but the final choice of belief and practice must be made in the secret of the soul's naked presence before God. I may pray in corporate prayer or use my devotional prayer book, but unless the, their words are truly my work, I have not engaged God for myself. I have only said my prayers. I must study the Bible, but I must finally judge what is truth, not because I find it agreeable to me, 
but because the inner witness of the Spirit convinces me. I may profit by the testimony of another's experience in the Lord, but I do not need and cannot repeat his experience. I need my own. My friends, the good news this morning is that the Baptist tradition in its dedication to an investment in the individual, it makes room for everyone. The good news is the Baptist tradition in its dedication to an investment in the individual makes room for everyone. And though our society might not believe that, given the image of Baptist that's the most visible, this tradition doesn't prescribe a singular way to approach God. Thanks be to God, our Baptist ancestors knew that faith cannot be forced, just as individuality doesn't exclude or excuse us from being part of a community. God helps us all as we grapple with the truth that our ancestors live out. You have to make up your own mind to be a Baptist.
In this Pentecost season, we recognize the loving God whose divine lungs exhaled the spirit into our world. God's breath, wind, spirit, ruach in the Hebrew, continues to transform the world that we live in. Before the earth was formed, the spirit of God swirled through void and shadow. As humans were created, the air of God's lungs filled Adam, and it filled the soul of Eve. This divine air continues to fill us up when our bones are dry and our spirits are sluggish. In this Pentecost season, we invite the spirit to come upon these elements, God's wind to come and pour out God's spirit to make these elements come alive for us. To make this meal awaken our sleepy hearts and stagnant souls. May we begin to celebrate visions and animate dreams that have only been alive in our minds. As we share this meal, let us remember our siblings in faith who come to tables just like this one all over the world in decades and centuries past. And let us think of our children who will surround this table in the future. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is God's table. We are the guest and Christ is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it. And this is holy ground. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. All are wanted and all are welcomed here with your doubts, your shortcomings, your failures, your griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you are not just tolerated here, you are overwhelmingly wanted and welcomed. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Now, if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around that table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, Jesus would be seized by those in power. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this simple meal to his followers. For though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with those he loved, and as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he shared it with them, saying, remember me. And then after supper, Jesus took a cup, and after his blessing of it, he shared it with the disciples and reminded them that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. And then later, after the day of resurrection, the disciples ate on the beach with the risen Christ, celebrating new life, new hope, new vitality. So in this Pentecost season, as we come to this table, let us celebrate the spirit of resurrection and the promise of a needed second wind in our own lives. Amen.
that a joyful noise. <laughs> now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste with superficial worship so you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with no foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen.
but it does have the translation of the poem on it. Just because it's Want to see my holographic? You know I do. Okay, so all you have to say is the is the chorus. And let's practice it. Here we go.